was a big night for Canada, taking home the gold medal at the World Junior Hockey Championship. But does it feel right with everything that's been going on with Hockey Canada? Also today, we went to Ukraine to visit with a reporter we've spoken to over the last year to find out what is happening for Orthodox Christmas Eve. And we learned that her parents are taking a different approach this year because of what's going on. Cartel violence in Mexico. Is that going to change your desire to visit? We had our weekly Gab with Gabby, Gabrielle Marchand from Global News Morning, and best laid plans ruined by a distraction. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Friday, January 6th podcast for The Start. Good Friday morning. It's Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. We figured we should quickly mention big night, Mr. Mackling, for Canada. Yes, the World Junior Hockey Championships wrapped up in Halifax. Uh, Games also were played in Moncton, New Brunswick as part of this tournament. Team Canada secures its 20th ever gold medal in this uh, tournament. And, Loren, it uh, ended in absolutely thrilling fashion in overtime and we can talk about three on three versus five on five overtime or the shootout later on but it was a wonderful way to end a tournament that that had a little bit of a dark cloud over it for some yeah and i'm you know i was working really hard last night to try to separate those thoughts to have two brains where i could just watch the game as a fan but i will say this and i will get more into it at 637 I didn't watch it the same way I would have in years past. I wasn't on pins and needles the same way I would have been in years past, you know, really wanting that gold medal win. In fact, there was a point as I was watching overtime last night. In fact, I was in bed. I'd gone to bed early and then got this text from a family member. I'd been watching most of the game up to the third period. And I was like, I got to go to bed. I'm not feeling 100%. And I get a text from a loved one saying, oh, my gosh, we're going to overtime. And I thought, ugh. And now I have to get back up and go back and watch this game. So I got back up. My own kids were at hockey. You know, I mean, I love this sport. I do. But I, as I was watching last night, there was a part of me that thought, I'll be fine. It'll be, it might be better if Canada doesn't win this because I'm not so sure we deserve it based on everything that's been going on this past year. But that, that was a heck of a game. They are some tremendous athletes. I, I, I thought that was thrilling from start to finish. And a lot of the comments that I was reading on social media called it one of the best tournaments for hockey, you know, in, in terms of just watching the caliber and excitement of hockey that they've seen in a long time. So I'm going to put that hockey hat on now. And then in 637, I'm going to take it off and, and maybe we'll get more into sort of some of the feelings of it being a bit tainted because there's still a lot of work to do for this sport. All right, so much more on that coming up at 635. And we're going to get more into this in our next segment as well. But uh Boy, oh boy, um, if you had plans to go to Mexico, particularly Mazatlan. you got to be thinking twice this morning if you're even going to be able to go. As uh, the Mazatlan airport was closed yesterday, El Chapo's son, uh, one of the big uh, cartel leaders in Mexico, was arrested yesterday by the, by the federales in uh, Mexico. And that has uh, essentially begun uh, a pseudo ground war between the cartel and uh, Mexican authorities uh, to the extent that there are uh, Canadians who are trapped in their hotels, they've been told, Canada has told Canadians to stay put, shelter in place in a lot of places in Mexico. And Brett, I think it was last week or the week, I guess it was the week before when people were having a difficult time 
getting in and out of Mexico. I mentioned being in Mazatlan about 25, 26 years ago, just south of the Golden Zone, where a lot of the hotels are, on my way to a nightclub. And one of the most surreal movie-like things that had ever happened in my lifetime took place when the federales came, nine vehicles strong, countless people to take down two individuals, put them in a vehicle and drive away, all complete with the machine guns, etc. Hundreds of people present and everybody just sort of stood still, watched it took place. And I went back to doing what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And so this is like uh, multiple times uh, more dramatic than that. There's, I have people I know in Mexico who go there regularly and in text exchange with them last night, they were like, oh, this this happens. Like it's, It was sort of this, uh, the violence is normal in some respects. And that when, wow. especially when it comes to this, you know, when he's been re- arrested before and then violence erupted a few years ago. And so they eventually let him go and then they've arrested him again. And, and so that's the, that's the crazy part too. You're you know, sitting from a distance, you look at that and you think, oh, wow, that's, that's frightening. I'd be very concerned if I was there right now. But for people living there, I mean, sadly, sometimes it's the reality that this is the fallout of these kinds of things. And, and that's what is actually almost more frightening when these things become normal. Well, one of my best friends in B.C. actually winters in La Paz, which mm-hmm. is at the the southern tip of the Baja Peninsula near Cabo San Lucas, straight across the Sea of Cortez from Mazatlan. And so I'm sharing this with him yesterday. And Loren, that was exactly his take. Yeah, there was a stabbing on the SkyTrain on New Year's Eve as well. <laughs> like he draws these parallels in order to, you know, uh, whether that's 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 a that's a fact, obviously. But he's in Mexico and he spends four months teaching people how to sail down there every year, and he could sail his boat across to Mazatlan in probably about three hours. No big deal. That's just that's happening over there. That's not happening here. Wow. So we'll have much more on this in our next segment as well. We'll get the latest from Global News. And then after Global News at 7 o'clock, Loren, we're going to check in with somebody we haven't spoken to in a little while over in Ukraine as we head into Orthodox Christmas. Olga Rusina is a reporter with a radio uh, group over in Ukraine, and, and we've visited with her a few times, going back to last February when on the day after Russia first invaded Ukraine, she was speaking to us from a bomb shelter. And so I... I Spoke with her at length last night around 10 p.m. Ukraine time uh, as a ceasefire was supposed to get underway called by Russia. And uh, she had a lot of thoughts about what that ceasefire may or may not look like because it's Christmas Eve over there under the Orthodox calendar, the Julian calendar, Russian Orthodox Christmas. And um, it's very thought-provoking stuff about what they've been through over the past 11 months. But also she had something really fascinating to say about what this Christmas Eve means to her and her family. They are not celebrating it the same way they would have in years past. Her parents grew up under the Soviet Union, now living in Ukraine. And they decided this year that they would really go all in on December 25th, in part because they didn't want to feel any connection to what Russia might be honoring and celebrating over the next 48 hours. Canadians in Mexico have been advised to take shelter as cartel violence breaks out in streets in the Mexican state of Sinaloa. So, of course, that area includes the popular tourist destination of Mazatlan. And as Greg was mentioning this morning about the 
the challenge for flights to get out now with airports closed in that region. The, the flight that's supposed to go to Mazatlan, it should have left 17 minutes ago, still is listed as delayed and there's no update as to when that flight may go. And so we'll get more onto the travel plans in a moment. But first, as Global's Aaron MacArthur reports, the violence seems to have been sparked after the arrest of a Mexican drug lord. Gunshots fired at moving jets on the tarmac at the Culiacan International Airport. On board the Aeromexico jet, passengers crouching low on the floor. Gangsters affiliated with the Sinaloa drug cartel also shooting at a Mexican military jet. The attack, a direct retaliation for the arrest of the gang's leader and son of Joaquin El Chapo Guzman, Ovidio. The state of Sinaloa has erupted in chaos after Guzman's arrest. The focus of the violence appears to be in Culiacan, but three airports across the state have been closed, including the popular tourist destination of Mazatlan, where hundreds of Canadians are currently vacationing. All in all, I was we're still having fun. I don't know outside because they block the roads. The highways are blocked and airports uh, get shut down too and the city. So we started reading the news and watching news about Mazatlan this morning. And yeah, it's violent outside. It's chaos. Travel companies trying to figure out what the immediate future of flights to the region will be. Sunwing, WestJet and Swoop all offering service to Mazatlan. I personally have reached out to the companies that are flying there, both WestJet and Sunwing have flights. We're waiting to hear back. Guzman was flown to Mexico City Thursday, and there is concern about the violence spreading five days before Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and U.S. President Joe Biden are set to arrive in the national capital for the North American summit. The government of Canada has issued a travel warning for Sinaloa, and the U.S. State Department has done the same. Travel to Sinaloa uh, remains at level four. Uh, we advise Americans not to travel uh, to Sinaloa as a result. Travelers on the ground in Mazatlan have been told their flights may leave Friday. Sunwing telling passengers to check the status of their flights before heading to the airport. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Drug-related violence in Mexico and cartel-related violence in Mexico has been a fact of life there for 20 or 30 years. It seems to have ramped up over the last 15 years or so. And I think for Canadian tourists, uh, I've done it, justified a lot of things in my head about what could possibly go wrong or what could go wrong and balance those things out as you search for beer, sand and sun in the wintertime. Let's be honest about it. Uh, There are lots of people who winter in border towns in Texas and Arizona and still go into those northern Mexico communities, which are extremely dangerous at times. I've uh, driven uh, in the northern part of the Baja Peninsula knowing what the risks are, but have weighed those risks out and, and, and gone ahead with my plans and been to Mexico several times. But I don't know, Loren, uh, for the last five, six, seven years, Mexico has not really been on my list of places to go with my family. I might roll the dice uh, myself or or just with uh, Jackie, but but I'm not taking my kids there. But that's just me. It's a huge country. And there are lots of places you can go where many people will say you do feel safe. I've been there in the past and I will go there again and I have taken my family. So, but, you know, for sure there are parts of it and this this included, which might have me thinking twice. If anyone out there does have plans to head 
south over the next few days. Maybe you were even supposed to be on that flight this morning. Shoot us a text, 780-6868. That flight's still listed as delayed. I'm not sure when it'll be giving out. And man, can travel just not catch a break? I know there are serious things going on down there, but it feels like every other day, just when you think travel's about to return to normal, we reimagine what normal looks like. Canada has done it again, winning gold at the World Junior Hockey Championship in overtime. And if we're just talking about it as a game, yeah, it was a good one. It was thrilling right to the end. But of course, we know there's so much going on with the sport in Hockey Canada. And so for some, maybe you didn't watch it the same way as you've done in the past. We're going to get more into our thoughts in a moment. But first, Global's Scott Roblin on the victory. Joshua Watts, With one shot, Edmonton's Dylan Gunther etched his name into the history books for Team Canada at the World Junior Hockey Championships. Gunther netted the dramatic overtime winner for Canada Thursday, his second of the night, to give Canada a 3-2 win over a Czechia squad that went toe-to-toe with the defending champs. Canada was dominant for most of the game, holding a 2-0 lead with under 8 minutes left in regulation. However, the Czechs buried a pair of quick goals to force overtime, leaving fans in attendance and across the country holding their breath. That was until Gunther's heroics, giving Canada back-to-back gold medals for the first time since 2009 after winning the restarted 2022 event last summer. Tournament MVP was no surprise, as 17-year-old phenom Connor Bedard took home the honours. He smashed several Canadian records over the course of the tournament, including most career goals and points while wearing the Maple Leaf, finishing with 9 goals and 23 points in just 7 games. After three straight years of the tournament being held in Canada, Canadian players will head overseas next December, with Sweden hosting the 2024 edition of the World Juniors, in which Canada will be aiming to stretch their gold medal streak to three. Scott Robling, Global Sports. So I love hockey. I, I, I love hockey. I play it. My kids play it. I love the sport. And I watched the gold medal game last night, some of the semifinals earlier this week. But in years past, I, I would have watched a lot more than that, guys. And I found it hard this year. And I do not want to take anything away from these boys. They played hard. They worked hard. But as I was saying earlier, when overtime got underway, I thought that it would not be the worst thing if Canada lost because Hockey Canada as an institution, doesn't deserve that win. They don't deserve to have anyone in a boardroom, you know, anywhere thinking, see, our program works. We do produce the best because producing the best of anything shouldn't come at all costs. And and I think we all know the backstory, but just to recap, you know, it was last May, Hockey Canada settled a lawsuit with a woman who alleged she'd been sexually assaulted by several members of a 2018 World Junior team. Then in July, we had Halifax police investigating allegations that members of a 2003 team sexually assaulted a woman and filmed the attack. None of the allegations have proven in court. No charges have been laid, but we know Hockey Cannon has paid out nearly $9 million in sex abuse settlements over the last 25, 30 years, including that 2018 deal. And that money came from registration fees of parents. And so for sure, Hockey Canada has said they're working to restore faith. Ostensibly, work is underway to correct what many is calling that systemic problem of toxic masculinity within hockey culture so with all that my thoughts when watching the game last night were please do not look at this and think you can move on because some of those golds perhaps might feel tarnished and and I think I also was thinking as fans we might have some work to do Greg you know let's not hang the identity of a nation off a tournament of teenagers you know let's not elevate them or any team playing any sport hockey or any other sport to this godlike status it is just a game and so with all these conflicting feelings last night 
I also was feeling, you know, that same elation that many Canadians might have been feeling. And it, when they interviewed Connor Bedard, Scott just called him the hockey phenom. He is. He That kid is amazing. As the reporter was asking him something about the game and how he played, he responded with something like, you know, um, I don't want to talk about me. This is not about me. Let's talk about them. And then he pointed to his teammates that were celebrating. And I thought, yes, <laughs> that is what this is all about. The team and the camaraderie and an attitude like that. So as a fan, I would like to get back to that and having a not conflicted feeling of watching but i am certainly not there yet yeah so winning winning cures all is one thing that you're here with organization and sport i hope that's not the case i'm with you loren i hope that's not the perception at hockey canada last night or this morning or the coming days and weeks or to borrow a phrase from richard cluche in the days weeks and months ahead there has to be that continued introspection and to take a look at what's going on within Hockey Canada because it has been, in my mind, at all costs, win at all costs, and, and to ignore some things that were clearly toxic and clearly uh, inappropriate happening happening within uh, the culture of, of hockey at several levels. And, you know, on, on the hockey side, I watched, uh, Brett, I watched Team USA claim the bronze medal over Sweden. Not the entire game, but Chaz Lucius, the Winnipeg Jets draft choice, had a hat trick, including the overtime winner, 8-7 win. So that was uh, great to see. And to hear Gord Miller's voice, who joined us earlier this week, that was kind of neat as well to hear him calling the game last night, to imagine that he's been working so hard behind the scenes to help with the the game that we'll see here in Winnipeg on Monday and the other games in Western Canada and then to hear his professionalism on the air last night was uh, extra special to tie it all together good and good on Czechia you know they were down two oh, nothing yeah. and then they tie it two all and in the third period I thought they were going to win it. They were all too. over Canada at, at different yeah. points in time. And that overtime, uh, whether you like three or three on three hockey or not, I that, liked that it. was sterling. I don't know if there was more than one whistle in that overtime. No, it was so fast and it was furious. And it, I, I, I was like standing as close as I could to the TV. Because again, like I, I am excited for them and they are kids and they worked really hard. And you can see when Chechia lost, the boys are crying, right? Like this is an emotional time. A lot is on the line for them. And I feel for them win or lose. And I was happy. And then I texted you guys and said, I'm all over the place now. I'm doing the national anthem and I'm tearing up because I, you know, I, I am proud. I'm just saying that off ice, let's continue the work that needs to be done. And putting aside the Hockey Canada stuff, you talk about the, the Czechia players crying. Do you, do you, I'm always been curious. Do you think the rest of the countries in this specific tournament hate Canada? Like Canada is the big, the big red monster. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I the, also think it's it, it's also the team you want to play. You know, like you might hate them, but then when you get to a final, if you can say you beat Canada in a gold medal match, I think Chechia hadn't been to a gold medal game in 15 years. I want to say it was 2005. I'm trying to remember the stat that was thrown out last night. They hadn't been there in a long time. So on the flip side, had they beat Canada, then you're, you get to say, no, 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 like... We beat the best of the best in that game. You never want to win going through the back door. You want to take down the giant. You don't want you, to win against Germany in a gold medal final. <laughs> You'll wonder how the heck that even happened. That's right. You don't want two teams that kind of, how did they get here? And then you win. It's like, mm, not nearly as exciting. Yeah, you make a good point, Brett. You want, you want to beat, you want to slay the dragon, so to speak.
We want to talk about best laid plans ruined by distraction. Mr. Mackling, you were telling a story to engineer Johnny earlier today about how once upon a time you're ready to go to a social and got distracted and never made it. What happened? Yeah, I had to go online to double check the date. 1987, Saturday, <laughs> April 18th. Wow. It was the Washington Capitals and the New York Islanders played the, the longest game in NHL history to that point. That's been surpassed, I believe. Kelly Rudy made something like 82 saves or something ridiculous in that game. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's all dressed up. My girlfriend and I, and uh, we were at my mom's house and uh, just popped in for a visit. <laughs> and uh, then um, the hockey game was on. And... Oh, that pause had me thinking tied. it was going somewhere else. No, no, like, it girlfriend was tied. over. No, no, <laughs> it was tied. It was tied, and and then went to the first overtime. And well, we can't leave now. And so there I am, all dressed up as dressed up as I can be in 1987. And uh, the game ended after midnight with my girlfriend fast asleep on the couch and <laughs> me jumping up and down uh, when the game ended. Do you want to go now? <laughs> Wait, <laughs> social ends in 20 minutes. Never mind. <laughs> So three on three would have been good because I don't think the game would have lasted that long. But the NHL and those epic long games are fantastic. Was your girlfriend upset with you? At the end, ultimately, no. Okay. No. All right. So here's what we need from you at 204-780-6868. Your best laid plans ruined by distraction. Could be something simple, like I mentioned the other day, how when I went to the last time I got my haircut, I stopped in to visit my dad beforehand for a few minutes, and then I went to the haircut and was going to go back to see my dad, and I got distracted by something and just drove home. And I had to call him an hour later and say, I'm okay, I'm sorry, I forgot to come back. 204-780-6868. Jeff Braun, let's start with you, sir. Well, for me, it's uh, n- not one instance like that. It's a, a series of recurring instances, and it's a thing where I get in my car and I start driving, and I totally forget what I was, why I left the house in the first place. And <laughs> I find myself, you know, like on Portage Avenue, getting close to work, especially before the pandemic. All of a sudden, I'm at Polo Park. And I was like, why did I drive to work? And I was like, I was going to go grocery shopping. And the grocery store is back in Charleswood. So I need to turn around and go back to where I originally was. So I just, uh, I start driving down the street, and my brain just leaves altogether. And I, all I'm doing is just following the road until I, finally realized, oh yeah, I was going somewhere. I did that once in university. I picked up my buddy Sean and uh, we were, we had a film studies class at the U of M and I'm driving and I'm driving and I'm, and I, I'm like on Higgins. And then I realized that I'm currently driving to where I worked at Polo Park and I, and he didn't say anything. He didn't even notice. He's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't thought you were just taking a different route. I'm like, oh my God, we're so far out of the way. We're going to be late for class. Cam Poitras, what about you? Well, I was uh, working in Merritt and um, I was making this plans. I was going to go drive out to Kelowna, just spend the day, uh, chill out, maybe getting something to eat and just, just sort of relax. It was a beautiful summer day and stuff like that. And I'm, and I'm, I'm so bad for this. Like, I think I was talking about this earlier in the week. Um, about how I need to stay laser focused on a task or, and then I need to like, I, I have a trouble compartmentalizing everything. Like I can't do six tasks at once. I have to like do one in order or, or else the whole thing will be thrown apart. 
But then I was like, well, you know, I'll just I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll just grab some some snacks for the road. And I went into the grocery store and then I started shopping. And then I went back home and unpacked my groceries and, and started watching this movie that I I picked up on uh, VHS. And then I, I looked down at my phone. I was like, wasn't I supposed to be driving to Kelowna and like enjoy myself? <laughs> and then I was like, uh, and then it was too late already. The movie was pretty good. And so I... Um, <laughs> I uh, yeah, just just stayed home, and I think I went the next weekend. But it was just like, I, it's just how my brain works. <laughs> Ridiculous. What about you, Loren? Well, I'm I'm the same as as all of you. Like even just yesterday, I was trying to do a big clean, <clears throat> and was in the storage room, and you know trying to purge things. And next thing you know, you're flipping through old photo mm. albums, and then forgetting what you know wh- why why am I down here to begin with? But I, this story made me think of um, traveling with my sister in Thailand several years ago, about 15 years ago, and we had, it was hot. It was like 35, 36 degrees, and you're trying to be, do do right. Like, you're there to you know, explore the culture and learn more about the country. And we had a tour booked, and we were, in, we were doing some sights and sounds, and but it was just so hot, and I'm miserable when it's hot. Like, I'm a pasty redhead, and I am <laughs> miserable. And, like, all the photos had, like, a sweatband around my around me like I just it was disgusting and so I think we had a, I'm trying to remember what the tour was we had a tour booked we were walking down Kosan Road which is just like just so much going on it's almost like the Vegas of talent in that you know the sights and sounds and the lights and we walked past this door and felt this like rush of air conditioning and we both just turned and looked at each other knowing that we had this this booking to get to and walked in and then spent the next four hours <laughs> having beers in an Irish pub in Thailand. Like <laughs> not even, me. not even like a spring roll. You know what I mean? It was like, they were serving Guinness and stew. I was like, ah, I am here for the air conditioning and I do not give two whoops about that. I, I did that same thing in Rome of all places. Like one of the yes. like best food on the, and I walked into an Irish pub and I had a Guinness. It's like, well, what the heck is going on with me? Am I nuts? Sometimes was you just Because want of the air conditioning? It wasn't because of the air conditioning. It was just because I just wandered in. <laughs> oh. Okay. Hey, sometimes you just want to want a Guinness. And Forte, what about you? Mine was a couple of years ago at home. And I was having one of those lazy days. You know, you just don't feel like doing anything. But you have a birthday party you have to go to. So, you know, I get showered, get dressed up, got my sports coat on, a white button-up shirt. I'm looking good. I'm like, all right, you know. Got about 15 minutes before I have to leave and uh, turn on the TV just to sit down for a minute. And uh, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets was on. Okay. And uh, <laughs> once you sit on that couch, you know, it's uh, kind of hard to get up. <laughs> the fridge is right there. The beer is in the fridge. You know, just grab grab one beer and, you know, crack it open. Then I knew I was, I was done for the night. Like, <laughs> I'm not going out. That was it? That was it. You know, how, how many text messages for Jay from your friends? Where are you, Jeff? Where are oh, you? Oh, no. I just said something's come up. I'm busy. I'm sorry I can't something's make it. Something's come up. And nobody questioned what came up. Harry Potter. <laughs> they don't need to know that. <laughs> Except you just said it on the radio. What if they're listening? Ditch <laughs> <laughs> it for Harry Potter. Right now, we want to focus how it is Christmas Eve for millions of people who celebrate Orthodox Christmas, according to the Julian calendar. As you can imagine, in Ukraine, which was invaded by Russia almost one year ago, it's all feeling very different. While Russia's President Vladimir Putin ordered a ceasefire that was supposed to start just a few hours ago and run to midnight tomorrow, Kiev time. They're eight hours ahead of us, by the way. Putin says... This is just a temporary pause in fighting at the request of the Russian Orthodox Church. 
Ukraine's official response was the ceasefire, quote, cannot and should not be taken seriously, Loren. Yeah, so as you mentioned, we're just a few hours into this, but I spoke with Olga Rusina. She's a reporter with Romatska Radio, and she says as soon as that ceasefire was announced yesterday, it's not that they laughed it off, but they almost did because many are in doubt about how this will work. So people are rather joking about it because obviously no one believes each in if, believes him in the first place, uh, and also you know this will to to order a ceasefire may. Uh, may be a sign that Russia are starting to have problems with weapons, for example, because uh, the Russian army is definitely using drones more recently than rockets, especially at night, and uh, they uh, receive new drones from Iran all the time. So, of course, obviously, they have a lot of rockets still, but they they definitely, you know, cannot use rockets uh, as as often as it was uh, at the very beginning of the full-scale invasion. When Russia first launched this invasion back in February, did you ever imagine you'd get to Christmas, Ukrainian Christmas, <laughs> and, and still be under this relentless attack, Ola? Because I, I remember uh, we were talking on the 24th, actually, of February, and I was sitting uh, in the bomb shelter, uh, and... Uh, Back then, I never thought about, you know, about what will be in one year, because because when when the war, the full scale war started, you your mind is, you know, is uh, concentrating on the this day, the next day, and you you, you know you, you are planning all the, only uh, this day and maybe the couple of day next days, and you you just not you can can can't think about you know such a huge amount of time. You can get that, hey, how hard it would be to see past a day or even a week when you're under attack. And almost a year later, I think it's safe to say, I don't know if we can see an immediate end in sight. There's not just been that onslaught of missiles and drones, but Ukraine has also been dealing, Greg, with hits to its power supply. And I know you've been watching this ever since Russia unleashed missiles and drones on its power grids. Yes. And and so this is just crimes against humanity. And and that means there's a a lack of electricity and water for weeks now, blackouts that go on for hours, even days, all this in the dead of winter. Now, there is some, I guess, good news, if you want to call it that, is that there has been a heat wave rolling through Europe. So in some parts of Ukraine, it it, it hasn't been as cold as it should be at this time of year. But just this morning, Ukrainians were asked to conserve electricity because it's getting cold again, dropping to lows of minus 11 Kiev tonight. Olga says it has been an adjustment. I suddenly realized how how I got used, actually, to the blackouts mm. because at the end of the day, you know, you are sitting in your apartment and everything is charged, your phone is charged, your laptop is charged, everything, you know, is under control. You're constantly preparing yourself uh, to the fact that any 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 moment electricity uh, may disappear, but you still have it. And I think after the war, we... we uh, we will get used to, you know, to this normal life again. So, of course, we wanted to ask about Orthodox Christmas. Olga, who is 27, tells us that her family has often celebrated both on December 25th and January 6th and 7th. And she says she's not very religious, but that today, Christmas Eve, 
has always been important to her parents. Olga says this year, her mom and dad felt differently. I talked to my parents and they were, they lived in Soviet Union and so on, and they were used to celebrate Christmas on the 6th and 7th of January. But uh, this year they said that we, we don't want to, you know, to celebrate the same time the starters celebrate, and we want to, you know, to celebrate with with uh, with, with Western world, with, with all the, those countries in the West, which are helping us right now. So we celebrate it on the 25th of December. Mm. How do you feel about that? That's a big change, no? Uh, yeah, yeah, like um, it's a big change, maybe not for me because, you know, I've never lived in Soviet Union and I've never, you know, I never, I never actually get used to, to this, you know, uh, these differences. But uh, for other people, like, you know, like my parents, uh, I think it's a big change and, uh, and I'm glad that, you know, it, it was their will, their will to, to do mm-hmm. this. Uh, it's it's like a you know it's like a very symbolic gesture. I thought that was fascinating. You know this idea that they had her parents had lived under the Soviet regime for years and and but on this day really felt like they wanted to distance themselves from Russia. I asked Olga if she thought that's something other people might do, and she said, you know, she doesn't want to speak for anyone else. She felt that there was that sentiment elsewhere but you know right now they're still just focused on the day-to-day and a lot of ukrainians will celebrate both days uh, the same way many here do greg right there's a lot mm-hmm. of people who will uh, acknowledge both the 25th and the, the 6th and 7th so to anyone celebrating orthodox christmas today um, merry christmas to you i know this is a perhaps hardest one you've had in a long time i can't imagine i've got a ukrainian family a refugee family in my life right now that it's become very special to us, and I was dropping some clothes off to them uh, just earlier this week, and to imagine what last Christmas must have been like for them, living in Kiev and and living in a modern apartment, very similar to the one they live in now here in Winnipeg, and just here we are 365 days later, and they are depending on, in part, the graciousness, the, the kindness of of otherwise strangers halfway around the world to just to imagine what's changed in a year is, is overwhelming. It's time for the couch potatoes to assemble. Hi there, Jeff Braun. Good morning. All right, so only one movie out this week, and I'm going to tell you what it is, and then I have a question for the three of you as it pertains for, to this kind of movie. And it's a, a horror comedy, and the, the beginning of the year, the first movie is often a horror movie. I think it's maybe because they just need to put something new in theaters, but it's a quiet weekend after the holidays usually, so they just, you know, we'll just bury this movie in January. We'll make a quick buck because the horror fans will go see it regardless of the reviews. Um, But this year's starting a little different because, yeah, it's still a horror movie, but it's a horror comedy, and what's extra different is it's getting awesome reviews, 95% on Rotten Tomatoes. The movie's title is spelled M3GAN or Megan. I designed Megan to protect Katie from feeling lonely. You're going to pair with her. That's insane, right? I won't let anything harm you. Megan! You should run. What the hell was that? Did Megan do something bad? Hold the door! What are you? I'm Megan. Megan. 
again. Rated PG-13. So it's another entry into the killer doll kind of scary movie. It's about so there's this girl Katie. Her parents die in a car crash, so she goes to live with her aunt. Her aunt is a scientist who's created a Model Three generative android, or Megan for short. And this and it's this android is to be her protector and friend, but. Her programming goes rogue, and she decides that the best way to protect Katie was to start killing people. And it looks creepy. It looks fun. So my curiosity is, Jeff, Braun, we'll start with you. I know you don't like scary movies, nope. but have you ever seen any of the movies, for example, with Chucky? No, I have not, but it, I was uh, I was scared to death of Chucky. My sister had a My Buddy doll, which uh, <laughs> was, I think, the basis for Chucky. If not, it looked very similar, and... Uh, that doll freaked me out. I don't like dolls in general. I'm, I'm having this realization right now in the moment that I think I'm creeped out by most, if not all, dolls. So uh, the killer doll uh, movie uh, genre is not for me at all. What about mascots? Are you cool? Are you okay with I'm mascots? I'm not scared of them. I find them irritating like most people do. Okay. <laughs> Just curious because I, I, I know somebody who's horrified of mascots. Oh, really? Really? It's, it's an actual phobia. I'd have oh. to look it up. That's interesting. Oh, phobia of mascots. Okay. What about you, Loren? You like the killer dolls? Well, I don't want to have one in my house. <laughs> but like, do I, 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 watch, I watch those movies. They have ruined it for a lot of dolls out there, though. Yeah. Yeah, like when that uh, Annabelle movie came out a few years back, because uh, that was more of like an antique doll. And I know that there are a lot of people probably have collections like that, but I wouldn't want be, to be anywhere near that. What about you, Greg? I know you like scary movies, nope. but did you ever see any of the Child's Play Chucky movies? Well, I haven't seen the trailer. I've only heard it. It's clear that this Megan is no Johnny Five. From Short Circuit. You yeah. Know, Johnny Five. <laughs> Johnny Five. That was a robot. Is alive. Uh, similar, right? Artificial intelligence. You'd have to imagine oh, like that, that the inner workings of, of Megan are similar to but Johnny the, Five. But Johnny more... Five didn't have the creep factor of sort of looking like a little real life kid. Well, and there's the difference 30 yeah. years later. Yeah. But, you know, at their core, could Megan be, you know, flipped a little bit in terms of personality? I don't know. But also, I have very little interest in seeing something How like come this. we never get the story going the other way where uh, scientists design some machine for the purposes of war, then the it get, the wiring <laughs> goes screwy and the, this machine just wants to make friends with the enemy? <laughs> well, well, that would be nice. That was short circuit, wasn't it? Wasn't, oh, was that wasn't Johnny I haven't Five? seen that movie since it came out. I'm pretty sure Johnny Five was a military robot. 100%. And he got struck by lightning. And he wouldn't kill. Yeah. And that's where the short circuit part there you go. came in. Never mind. My great idea has been done 30 years ago. <laughs> well, and uh, what was the one with uh, Matthew Broderick? War Games. That's sort of ultimately, that's where the computer ended up, was that thermal nuclear war was unwinnable. Yeah. And so I don't want to play. Let's play chess instead. <laughs> Really? Uh, sure. Oh, sorry. I can't remember. No, I can't Spoiler remember. Alert. <laughs> I couldn't remember how it ended. It's been thir- how old is that? 40 years? 1983, I think. Yeah, 40s. <laughs> um, Masclophobia, by the way. Yes. Fear of mascots and things and, you know, clowns and stuff. So Megan is the movie that's out in theaters. And I just wanted to quickly mention this because if you're, you're on Netflix, you may have noticed there's a show uh, that's number one on the top 10 right now. It's called Kaleidoscope. Just came out on January 1st, started starring Giancarlo Esposito, who was Gus Fring in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. And it's a heist movie. It's about he, he leads his team to break into this unbreakable vault. and But there, it's a gimmick. Do you remember that, um, Loren, do you remember four years ago they, uh, they released that movie Bandersnatch? Yep. Did you yep. watch that? Yeah. I Well, not the whole thing. 
like many things, I started and never stopped. I took the wrong turn, t- turned the wrong page, went to page 63. You should have gone to page 69 or something like that. I don't know. But that's the point, right? You choose the yeah. You choose the adventure. Yeah, it was like the first of its kind. It was an interactive movie where you could decide where which direction to try to take the movie. So that was a gimmick. It was a neat one. It was kind of fun. So this is their, the, the next gimmick show that Netflix has unleashed where it's eight episodes um, but it doesn't matter what order you watch them in. You can, but as long as you get to the the final episode is white. But theoretically, Greg, your Netflix would would drop all the episodes in a different order than it did for me, That's or wild. for you, Loren, or for you, Jeff Braun. But I don't understand the point of it. Like, what am I going to do? Watch eight hours and then go and rewatch them in a different order? Like. If the show was good, maybe, but it, uh, I would recommend staying away from it. Like I watched the finale last night because the, the the one episode there's it's called the white episode, and that always is the anchor leg, uh, no matter what the order they they spit out. Um, and I was mad. I was genuinely angry at oh this boy. finale. It was like this this is not satisfying at all. Uh, and you don't want that when you invest a bunch of time. What are the five thousand combinations? As long as you leave that last episode as the last episode, and what um, like it goes by a multiple of like eight or something. Yeah. If if you if you decide to watch the white episode out of order, then it goes up to like forty thousand possible combinations. Wild. wild. Jeff, are you going to watch either of those, Black Mirror, Bandersnatch, or Kaleidoscope? I'm closer to watching Black Mirror than Kaleidoscope just because I I already watched a Netflix show this year where the ending sucked and really actually just ruined the whole series. That showed (sighs) The Watcher. Uh, A lot of people (laughs) were frustrated by the ending of that. So so, uh, I'm not putting myself through that again. I actually got to the end of The Watcher and went back and rewatched two episodes because I was like, surely I've missed something. (laughs) That would make this make more sense. Yeah. And then I was just more angry, like, nope, just a terrible ending. (laughs) We want to head now to Washington, where there is a lot going on this morning. Today is the second anniversary of the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, and it falls as politicians there continue to be stuck in a dramatic deadlock over the race for Speaker of the House. Yeah, no leadership really, essentially, in the in the U.S. Capitol. That's into its 12th round of voting as Republicans struggle to agree on who sh- should be uh, their leader now that they have the majority in the House. Global's Reggie Cicchini joins us now from Washington. Reggie, good morning and Happy New Year to you. Good morning. Before we get into uh, this anniversary, where do things stand in that in that race? And and I use the term in quotation marks race for the the speakership. I mean, it's at a stalemate, and it's been at a stalemate since uh, Tuesday. Last night, Kevin McCarthy, Speaker Hopeful, was in the halls of the Capitol saying that he believes that there's a deal that could be reached in the next couple of hours prior to this 12th round of voting that could potentially secure him not quite the victory he needs, but a bit more support. But at the end of the day, there is no Speaker. It is a non-functioning level of government right now, uh, and this is an embarrassment for somebody who believed he had the votes going into this when it turns out that there is a very small faction of his party that is simply not going to let him take that victory. You just used the term non-functioning, Reggie. Just expand upon that a bit more, what it means right now, you know, watching from the outside in to not have that leader uh, for the third, fourth straight day. 
Yeah, to not have a Speaker of the House means that people can't be sitting on committees. It means that bills can't come to the floor for a vote. It means that there is simply no work happening in what is supposed to be a bicameral legislature with the uh, with the Senate uh, and the House. If the Senate were to pass something and send it to the House, it would have to sit. It also means that nobody in the House is sitting third in line to the presidency because the Speaker is in that line of succession. So the Senate pro temp has had to actually move that position up to backfill for the missing speaker there are also concerns here about national security there's no access to uh classified materials nobody has any kind of clearance to meet with someone like the joint chiefs of staff so this is something that kevin mccarthy says they'll get to when they get to but the longer it takes to get to that the more crisis starts to build up underneath in the foundation of the house so reggie how is the anniversary of the january 6th attack on the capitol being being acknowledged today Well, I mean, look, the Senate is going to acknowledge it. It may be acknowledged at a point in the House today, but remember, these are not sitting lawmakers. They're representatives-elect. They are not sworn in, so they can't do anything official. The White House, on the other hand, they are going to mark this as a solemn ceremony. There will be medals that are handed out to to, to kind of January 6th heroes, including officers and election workers and secretaries of state. But the White House has said this is not going to be a political ceremony. They are not going to use this as a way to kind of draw back to a year ago when when President Biden had made a comment in the Capitol that the attack was essentially a dagger at the throat of American democracy. This is going to be a focus of remembrance and how to prevent this again. But this is not going to be a moment for 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 politics to play in, even though we are at a moment again where on January 6th, business as usual has been ground to a halt in D.C. Reggie, two years later, dozens and dozens of trials, dozens and dozens of convictions, but more charges uh, possible to come out of what happened January 6th? For sure, more charges are possible, and that includes charges against the former president. That includes charges potentially against other members of Congress. The Department of Justice is going to continue its investigation. Just because the J6 committee has wrapped up, although it hasn't been dissolved yet because there's no speaker in place to do that, uh, DOJ is going to continue moving forward. So there are real opportunities here, if they decide to pick this up, that more charges potentially could be laid uh, and, and that this could be something that continues on uh, you know, throughout whatever kind of upheaval comes over the course of a two-year Republican term. January 6th came and went two years ago, but it is going to be in the minds of the president of lawmakers today, and it is going to be on the minds of the special counsel and the Department of Justice for some time to come. And Reggie, before we let you go, have police made any changes there in the event like to, pre- to be prepared for a similar attack? Uh, I mean, in in terms of security, uh, you know, internal, non-visible, yes, there have been reviews for capital security over the last couple of years that are now in place, but nothing like we saw last year. There are no visible fences up except for the construction that's taking place at the Capitol. Uh, there are no more police walking around, no more helicopters than normal around D.C. So it is a back of mind thing. It is not a front and present thing. But again, these are all because of changes as well. Remember, Republicans blame this on security at the Capitol, not on kind of the politics that led up to it. So this is now something that's kind of playing into security preps around the district. All right. Global's Reggie Cicchini, always a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us, sir. Thank you. Two years already, man. I I have to say, Brett, when I was looking at the date, I was thinking it was the first anniversary. Like, I feel like I lost a whole year. Yeah, same here. When I when I I read second anniversary, I was like, that means that was two years. (laughs) All three of us are on the same page there because I thought... Two years? Are you sure? Double check your notes. I did double check. (laughs) I went back and and I know it just it just goes to show you. I feel like there's been like a, especially with COVID and uh, all the repeat and the sameness and which round of this and that. I 
I've lost time. We wanted to just sort of revisit something that we talked about yesterday on mass. Uh, it is the residential speed because people in other major cities across the country, they're already driving slower in their neighborhoods. As Winnipeg considers a pilot project to reduce residential speed limits of its own. Here's Global's Rosanna Hempel with more. When it comes to driving slower on residential streets, Winnipeg remains an outlier, according to Ahmed Shalabi with the University of Manitoba. Most other jurisdictions in North America have a default speed limit in, in residential areas of, uh, you know, 40 kilometers an hour or 25 miles an hour per hour, which is the same thing. We are at 50. Out of Canada's top 10 largest cities, Winnipeg is the only one that either hasn't already explored a pilot project, made plans to lower residential speed limits, or reduce some already. Among them, Calgary dropped its speed limit on most residential streets to 40 kilometers an hour in May of 2021. Most of what we are hearing from our residents is that uh, they want more roadways to be reduced to 40 kilometers per hour. Joanna Damarad with the city of Calgary says many residents realize travel times would only be impacted by a few minutes. For example, a 10-kilometer commute without stops would take 20 minutes at 30 kilometers an hour, 15 minutes at 40 kilometers per hour, and 12 minutes at 50 kilometers per hour. Is 30 seconds more on your commute twice a day? Is that worth uh, having a safe street network? Waterloo City Councillor Royce Bodily says they're lowering speed limits even further. In June, council there approved a 30 kilometer an hour limit on most collector and residential streets over the next few years. Bodily says changing speed limits isn't a silver bullet solution to calming traffic but it could have ripple effects for design and safety down the road. I think that's where we're ultimately going to see the biggest bang for the buck for this from the speed limit changes, not just the fact that people will slow down because they see the sign, but it will be the catalyst for some, some significant changes in road design in the future when these roads are being reconstructed. No matter which city you live in, the hope is the same, keeping people safe by slowing them down. Rosanna Hempel, Global News. I know we post this question today not only at cjob.com but on uh, the social media as well. And a couple of really divergent answers on Twitter here that you harvested, Brett. I uh, hope you'll be okay with me reading these. Uh, Matt Bergen says, yes, see, uh, I care about people. The people who live and play on the street that I am driving on should be a higher pro- priority there than me. I'm just using their community to get from A to B. We have way too many selfish, entitled drivers in the city. And then on the other end of the spectrum, John 8448901 with no picture, etc. Absolutely dumb with regard to this possibility. Our woke city lacks so much leadership. Sad. Well, I am uh, strongly... Um, on the side of Mr. Matt Bergen on this one. Yeah, just I, 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 I line with Perry who texted just now to reduce the speed to 40 kilometers on all residential streets and be done with it. And that for me is for two reasons. One, I do think it makes sense to slow it down on those roads where kids are playing and, and people are walking and biking. But more than that, what we definitely need is consistency. 
And nothing is more frustrating in this city and in any other where you encounter it, where you're going down one road, and I'll use Keniston as an example. I understand that's not a residential street where you could have four different posted speed limits within a matter of four kilometers, and it drives you nuts. You don't know where you're at. So make all the residential streets one thing, have your thoroughfares be something else, and make it make more sense, and, and stop whining about it. It's what 30 extra seconds on your commute. And you can continue to weigh in at cjob.com or on Twitter at 680CJOB or on Instagram at 680CJOB. And all three uh, polls uh, leave the, the option of where should residential speed limits be set. Leave them at 50 kilometers an hour is the leader. 64% at cjob.com, 54% at Twitter and 67 on Instagram. According to mental health experts, on average, one in five Canadians will experience a mental health problem or illness in their lifetime, thereby affecting indirectly many more Canadians through a family member, friend, or colleague. Stigma or discrimination attached to mental illnesses presents a serious barrier, not only to diagnosis and treatment, but also to acceptance in the community. So that one in five number is an important one to consider Brett and Greg, but we also need to look at the fact that studies show 70% of mental health problems have their onset during childhood or when we're teenagers. And so identifying the signs early, getting connected to tools and support, you know, it might be the most crucial way to prevent problems from becoming worse down the road. And mental health problems and illnesses, they can be treated effectively. We need to remember that. So it's why the Winnipeg Jets are focusing on bringing mental health conversations to the forefront. January, of course, is hashtag Hockey Talks Month. And the Jets are going to host various mental health organizations on the concourse at each game. And they're looking to invite them to share their resources with fans because the fans are might be going through some of these issues themselves, Greg. Yeah, well, statistically speaking, uh, absolutely. Hundreds of them, in fact. The work of Project 11 the True North Youth Foundation's cross-curricular mental health promotion initiative that is available to all Manitoba teachers for grades kindergarten to grade 12 classrooms will be highlighted at the January 15th Hockey Talks game. Susie Friesen is True North Youth Foundation Director of Educational Programming. Good morning and Happy New Year, Susie. Good morning. Happy New Year. So in your in your view, what are the benefits of a high-profile organization like the National Hockey League making the conversations around mental wellness a priority? You know, it's it's been really helpful to have the organization make mental health education a priority and just highlight the importance of the conversation to really reduce the stigma and some of the misconceptions associated with mental illness or even just normalizing that we all have obstacles that inevitably surface and we need to come together as a community or um, or individually just practice some healthy coping strategies. So having the Jets share their voice and have conversations with kids, you'll see some of their videos up on the Jumbotron or on the social channels, just again, normalizing the conversation. A couple of key words there, I think, Susie normalizing the conversation but also conversations with kids and so I have kids at the age to which Project 11 is going into school and and connecting with them for those who don't know tell us a bit more about Project 11 because this did not exist this this type of conversation wasn't even happening I don't think when I was growing up but now it is becoming more of the norm can you expand about what Project does Project 11 does Mm -hmm. so we have 15 weeks worth of mental health lessons unique to each grade, focused on the Manitoba mental health curriculum. And in addition to those 15 weeks of virtual lessons, 
We have hundreds of coping strategy videos that are body and brain break videos highlighting different tools that students can access, whether it's our art therapist videos that um, show some specialists and and local celebrities um, practicing um, some coping strategies via art as well as we have our Tai Chi or our fitness or our meditation videos. Throughout this school year, we've been really fortunate that a lot of the Manitoba Moose and Winnipeg Jets players have visited classrooms in person. We know over the last three years, they have done various virtual visits, um, but it's been really special. We've had some big school assemblies, some smaller class visits, again, having students have the chance to to ask their their role models some important questions around mental health and asking if they too um, you know, need to problem solve in their lives now or if when they were younger, if they had any feelings around anxiety or if they ever talked to a school counselor when they were in grade six or grade three. So to hear the Winnipeg Jets players or the Manitoba Moose players share and be open and honest and vulnerable really um, has been, we've had feedback from both teachers and students, um, an inspiring an inspiring start to the year. Susie, it's uh, Brett McGarry here. Just curious to know, how has Project 11 changed or evolved over the years? Mm-hmm. Great question. So in 2013, we had worked with a small group of six teachers to start a grade five curriculum. Now we've worked with teachers and specialists, not just in middle years and in grade five, six, seven, and eight, but we've now uh, written our kindergarten to grade 12 curriculum, and we're both in English and French. We're translating Ukrainian right now, and we have various Indigenous components, right from, um, I think, our first set of Indigenous dance videos we filmed in 2013. So I can't believe it's 2023, and we'll be celebrating 10 years. Um, so we're, again, just trying to work with students and, and teachers and seeing what their needs are and seeing how we can bring some of the specialists that we're connected with and some of their resources to the forefront uh, to help them as well. Susie, maybe to extend on Brett's question a little bit more, when this was first started, you mentioned how small a group you had relative to the group that you have now implementing this program. But with regard to the reception in the public, has that changed as well? Yeah, I think um, we've been really humbled by the support of different organizations and and specialists and even just students sharing years later. We have two students right now that are that have asked if they could volunteer for Project 11 and they were part of that initial group back in 2013 and hearing how they are still practicing journaling and still, you know, there are two males, one studying in in law school and one becoming a physiotherapist and just sharing how over the last 10 years, how Project 11 lessons have been at the forefront of their minds whenever challenges have surfaced for them and how having each other um, has really helped because they could use some of that same language and not feel embarrassed to be asking for help. Um, So it's been really special to now we have 10 years of of experience and, and connection with students and families to hear about the benefits of how practicing healthy coping strategies and, and normalizing these conversations early on, how we're promoting that healthy lifestyle early on, and it becomes habitual. Lifestyle. I love, I love, it's a lifestyle to start using mechanisms like that. I often think we think of it as a intervention or getting somebody in that moment. And yet here you are talking about the long-term benefits a decade later, Susie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know 
Greg, you know a little bit about my personal story with, with my mom, but my mom experienced um, some challenges in her middle years when she was 11, and it did impact her holding um, those stories in and, and not reaching out for help and um, later leading to um, a, a diagnosis of schizophrenia when she was 19. And so we're, we're really... Um, humbled that we can start these conversations early and Connor Halibut just wrote a book about the importance of reaching out and not suffering in silence and um, you'll see it at jet skier stores now um, it's a it's a two-sided flip book so there are two perspectives to his story that he co-wrote um, with Tom Van Dyke so uh, again just as as early as we can um, having students be aware of their feelings and um, providing them with opportunities to self-reflect in the classroom can can really make uh, an impact, a positive one. Yeah, that that lack of resource back, quote unquote, in the day, Susie impacted your mom and my mom uh, in a, in a very um, very large fashion. And so, sharing mm-hmm. these stories goes such a long way, and and letting people know that. They're not alone if they're if they're dealing with with these feelings, dealing with these uh, health issues. And so, I just want to thank you for what you're doing in Project Eleven and the Jets uh, Canada Life Centre this month. At every single game in the concourse, there will be different organizations who will be there directly reaching out to, to folks that either themselves or loved ones might uh, need a little bit of assistance in, in getting through whatever ails them on the mental health side. Susie Friesen, uh, always appreciate our time with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. It is Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb, and we've got one more M to introduce. Mr. Mackling, do the honors. <clears throat> My co-host, last Friday, here from 6 a.m. till 10, but usually and most almost always 6 a.m. till 9 a.m., Global News Morning on CKND, Channel 9, Cable 12, 101 on your Shaw cable box in high definition, Gabrielle Marchand. Unfortunately, in high definition. Oh, police! Get out of here! Stop it now! Nobody wants that. You know what? You don't. Nobody. You can't be your age and throw that out there. You need to have some wrinkles before you get all HD up in my grill. You should see that. You should see the fishing rod, the giant fishing rod in the studio. Looking for that one. Come on, Gabby. No, I'm being serious. No, no matter how old you are, we all have rough days. And if you're rolling into work on an hour and a half sleep with a tequila hangover, doing the news for three hours, looking at your sallow gray skin and your beady little pistachio red eyes, it's not fun. I'm just saying. Uh, that's fair. Hey, by the way, thank you for filling in for me last week. Very, very time. Very I was much honored to do it. Thank you. So weird things. You've, okay. I, so uh, what Tuesday today or this week, you guys talked about weird ways you've broken things. What inspired that, Mackley? <laughs> Our colleague Sam Thompson, who writes fantastic stuff at globalnews.ca, local stories, uh, tweeted out the fact that he had uh, filled his filled his uh, kettle with water and uh, put it on the stove and turned on the element for the stove to heat up his water. There was only one problem. It was an electric kettle. No. And so he should have plugged it in instead of... Was it plastic? Did it melt? Oh, yeah, it melted all oh. over. Absolute disaster. <laughs> Terrible. Okay. Yes. 
So uh, we wanted to talk about the things that you've destroyed uh, or mangled accidentally or or slightly on purpose by accident. Loren, maybe you can relate to this one as an enjoyer of the vino, the wine, but Mm -hmm, wine mm -hmm. glasses are so (laughs) flimsy. Like they are so flimsy. I'm continually bringing them in weird ways. Like the other week it was tossing a pillow back onto my couch, but then it hit the wine glass or I I literally closed my cupboard too hard the other day and a wine glass just shattered. And then at one point, a couple months ago, a flying ricocheting mini chocolate bar hit a wine glass okay. and chopped off the well, top. Hold on, hold on. How did this mini chocolate bar become rick- like moving? At- yeah, 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 yeah. Things. Come on, you now. know, you're just tossing things at other people. Well, I and think then there are other happen. issues here. I don't think it's just the wine glasses. <laughs> a lot of throwing things happening in my loft, apparently. Yeah, we, when you, the wine glasses are out, maybe just don't throw things. They are so flip. I'm saying I close my card. No, they and it, it broke. So for I remember for our wedding we got a bunch of those Rydell or Redell or whatever they are glasses and they're fairly expensive, and they were broken within the first like five months of the year and I was gonna go replace them and I thought who can afford to replace them at these prices when they break I bet you I'm on like round nine or ten like once a year at least I go out and buy six to twelve glasses and it's not because you're um, over imbibing and you drop them like sure. they do just break they break in the, you set them in the sink moose is moose is broke too with his tail like i set the drink down and he comes walking by <laughs> tail goes whack glass goes flying and i've gotten to the point where i think like much like you have you know in your storage room plans for just in case i should have water and tuna i might i think i should just have rows of wine glasses just as backup i have a I solution like i have a solution red a solo cups proposal stemless wine glasses i i've switched to that i have but they i, they I bought too. six of those they break too i bought it's some nice something can't can help you then stop drinking wine there you go Boo. no that's not a solution that's not the solution but it seems now to be you, the that, only get one out of here and you know what, though, and with the stemless glasses, and I like them too, they're, especially just from an ergonomic standpoint, they're nice to hold. Ooh, great word. But uh, I think it was our friend Christopher Sprague yes. who pointed out that White if you get the stemless, in, partic- in particular, just holding that glass will yeah, warm it up. It does. So they yeah. might want to stick with this. Best stem. for red. I'm getting so Best thirsty just having this conversation. <laughs> no, no, no. They are super uh, fragile. And and on moose, the moose front, Loren, uh, Labrador tails are like weapons it's a of weapon. mass destruction. <laughs> no, you have to so we were down in the states for Christmas and we've got I've got a niece and nephew or three that are under 4 and they keep wanting to come pet the dog and then they just would be taken down by the tail like cuz they're like a foot tall these kids, you know, right? Hi moose and they're all cute coming in blap and they start laughing and I think this tail is something. It's impressive. Yeah. Yeah. Hide your kids. Um important ingredients you forgot to bring was the question we asked because I went virtual golfing on Monday with some friends and I got to the place and realized I had left my golf clubs at home. Can't really go golfing without your golf clubs. So did you have, did you go back and get them? I was, was going just... to and then my buddy said, just use mine, man. Oh, nice. So like on a golf course, that would be a problem. But in this setting, who cares? But uh, you ever do something like that? Yeah, actually, last winter when I went to go get my winter tires changed, and it's a busy time of year, right, for your mechanic. He's got a million appointments. Mine was after the show. I bomb out of here, out of work. I'm all ready. I drive. I'm like, Warren, I'm ready. And he says to me, okay, so where are your winter tires? I hadn't brought them. I went to go get my winter tires changed, but I left them at home. So that was a key ingredient I was missing, and it was a giant fail and a waste of my time. A waste of his time, more like. Where on earth do you keep your winter tires? 
I keep them in a storage locker. Oh my goodness. Okay, that's good. That Why? Where do you keep yours? Are you just I, saying because apartment? Denray Tire looks after my they tires. Keep, that's and only my because rims. you don't have room in your garage. Most people would keep their winter tires in the garage, Mackley. <laughs> Loren, for the for the for me. the amount that you pay and the ease for not having to haul them around, it's well worth the investment. Weren't we going to do a show live from your garage where we clean it out and then just talk about all the things we find? Oh, that would be absolutely awesome. <laughs> I'm sure. How long is the show? How long is the show? Is it like a seven day, 24 hour marathon? Say, we need to block out a week to film it and then we'd have to edit it. I don't think it could be a live program. It could be a one live us, stream. I one of us is not coming out of that garage either. Like, you know, like the, the actual show will be like, one of these will not come back alive. We'll just get buried in a mess of the garage. I store my tires too at uh, the dealership at uh, Murray Chev. You don't have a garage. Yeah, I mean, I do have, uh, I don't have a storage locker, but I guess I it, I have the equivalent. It's in my apartment. It's like a storage closet, but it, but a big stack of tires. Even if you had the space for it. You know you what? You can make though? it like a planter, Brett, like like some sort of decorative adventure. Your tires could f- hold plants in the off season. Yeah. Yeah. I get that I you're, what like you're that. saying about the convenience, though, because I now actually have proper winter rims in the other rims. Yeah. So I had to carry the ones with the, the, the summer on. rims. I, I can't carry, I can barely carry one. I was rolling it through the streets. There you go. There you go. And Loren, uh, you know, not to shame you or anything, but you, you have nothing to do with those tires getting changed over. Oh. They're not even on right you, now. You just I don't even know why decree. I'm talking about it. It's because January and they're busy. still not on. She's too busy dealing with the wine glasses. She's dealing with mm-hmm. the broken wine glasses. Mm-hmm. We have how it works. jobs in our home and winter tires is not mine. Fair, that seems fair to me. A yeah. compromise has been reached yeah. in the McNabb household. That's right. The winter mm-hmm. tires just appear on the vehicle magically. It's magical. It is. <laughs> Who Much cleans the your way? garage, though? Not me. Oh, it's the same way <laughs> when he going. says, Loren when's the last time you changed the oil? And I go, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> and then he stares at me and tries Loren to crosses, get Loren crosses her arms like so, and then she blinks three times, and then it just happens. <laughs> Gabrielle Marchand, thank you very much for joining us. Happy Friday. Our winning text for the Winnipeg Renovation Show is based on the question, what best laid plans did you ruin due to distraction goes to Lee. Lee, Loren, what did Lee have to say? I had tickets to Guns N' Roses. This was before my phone existed to remind me of my life schedule. So I was flying out to Thunder Bay for work. And in the airport, people from Thunder Bay were getting off the plane. and They're wearing Guns N' Roses t-shirts, talking about how pumped they were for the show. And then it hit me. I had concert tickets for the same show, and I missed it and did not enjoy my Thunder Bay trip. Oh, gosh. Can you imagine that? Like, I can understand understand forgetting... You know, like, oh, yeah, I was supposed to go see a movie or something and I forgot about it. But, like, tickets to Guns N' Roses, yeah. just forget about it. And if this is pre-phone, you know, this means that's when Guns N' Roses was really Guns N' Roses, you know? Like- yeah. 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 I paid 150 bucks to not see Michael Jordan in Minneapolis because I couldn't get out of a, a work commitment. Ah! That, that Stupid bit. jobs getting in the way of our personal <laughs> lives. How dare they? Lee, congratulations. You're going to the Winnipeg Renovation Show. We typically reserve the question, should I do it the right way here? Oh, you yeah. have to. 
Do you want to go faster <laughs> for conversations around the Red River X? Uh, it's a great question. I think it all depends on what I'm in when you're asking that question. What sort of device or ride or what have you. And of course, if you're saying yes to the question, do you want to go faster? Then maybe you're actually going to be in Beausajour this weekend. Greg. That's right. The Winnipeg Sports Car Club is offering you an opportunity to quote, and this is from their website, Brett. Unleash your inner ice drifting demon. <laughs> so, if, so if that doesn't appeal to you on some level, McNabb, uh, uh, you know, you, you're just not alive. Mike Demchenko is director of ice racing with the Winnipeg Sports Car Club. Mike, good morning. Yeah, good morning. So first of all, thanks to listener Dylan, who is uh, new to your club. Dylan and his dad. Dylan's a regular listener. And Dylan and his dad have uh, built a car together to uh, get on, get in on what we're going to talk about in a moment here. So I wanted to thank Dylan for reminding me about this event that you had tech at us about a few weeks ago, Mike, and I think on the air we were discussing my boy's first few times behind the wheel when you mentioned your clinic coming up tomorrow. So can you tell us about that, Mike? Yeah, tomorrow we have a, a nice racing school. It's a, it's a clinic designed for uh, licensing and uh, providing uh, a race license for some of our racers, like Dylan that's, uh, and some of the new racers that are joining the ice racing uh, uh, group. But it's also designed for a lot of people that are just coming out to have fun, to learn how to slide around on the ice, get better car control. We have a group within our uh, ice racing club now that we've been grooming and building called IceX. And what it is is basically drifting on ice. And uh, it's turning out to be very popular. A lot of guys with their street cars are coming out and uh, just learning how to slide at high speed on ice and the model we're trying to promote with that it basically is how to be in control when you're out of control. Well, it reminds me of scenes, Mike, that I've seen, you know, even in Vancouver in the past couple of weeks where cars will just completely go sideways. But I don't mean the car's been turned sideways. I mean, it's just drifting in that direction because it's so slippery and people don't know in some parts to how to even manage winter driving, including here in Winnipeg. So let's talk, let's talk about drifting. Describe that to me. What speed am I going at? Am I turning? I'm thinking of like, uh, Lightning McQueen, you got to go right, turn right to go left as they go around the track or whatever the vice is from dock. Like, walk me through it. Well, when it comes to drifting, uh, drifting on ice is, is a lot easier than drifting on pavement. A lot of people probably are, are familiar with uh, some of the, the drifting on pavement aspects that, uh, uh, unfortunately, the late uh, Ken Block made very famous uh, sliding on pavement. On ice, it's a lot easier to do. However, it's also a lot more difficult to control because once you start sliding you're a bit at the mercy of uh, inertia and gravity uh, so um, the different cars that you're driving make a big difference as well too uh, drifting with a rear-wheel drive is probably what a lot of the older people like myself are more familiar with uh, when you're driving around with a rear-wheel drive car the back end will slide out behind you Nowadays, most of the cars are front-wheel drive, so a lot of the guys that are coming out for drifting are, are coming out with front-wheel drive cars. Uh, drifting with a front-wheel drive is, people think, is not possible, but it actually is possible. It just takes a little bit more finesse to get the car sideways and to be able to control it. And then there's a bunch of people that are coming out with their uh, all-wheel drives, the Subarus and Mitsubishis and, and things like that. Um, and drifting with a four-wheel drive car is a completely different animal altogether. 
I got a, a follow-up question for you in a moment, but just you talking about uh, the the rear-wheel drive for the older guys, that brings me back to when I was 16 years old and my friend Shane Henderson's car, he had a rear-wheel drive car and it was snowing and slippery outside and he just thought, he thought Kildare Avenue would be the perfect place to do donuts and uh, his car had, did the best donuts because he had rear-wheel drive. So uh, that's a blast from the past. Uh, so thank you for, for bringing that back. But uh, my question is I imagine you would probably need a fairly large surface uh, for this. So where do you do this? We do it in a bunch of different locations right now. We, we, the first uh, place uh, location that we go to uh, this year and, and a bunch of the years in the past have been Bossier. It's a great place to start the season because it's an extra wide track. The, it's a bit unique for us because it's an oval. We, we traditionally race on a road course design, which is uh, a whole bunch of lefts and rights and uh, various corners. Uh, the track in Bossier is, uh, for those uh, that have come out to the snowmobile racing there, is a man-made oval track on ice, extra wide. So it's, it's, it's a great season opener for us to, to get comfortable. After that, we go to Lake Shirley which is just off uh, Murdoch Road. It's the uh, Winnipeg Water Ski Pond, I think. Uh, I, I apologize if I get getting the name wrong. But it's, the, uh, it's a man-made lake just off Dugald Road on Murdoch Road called Lake Shirley. Uh, we carve out a, a road course onto that. We have a couple weekends racing there. And then the last two w- race weekends are up in uh, Winnipeg Beach and Gimli, where we have all the room in the world in Lake, lake Winnipeg, Lake Manitoba. It all sounds very exciting. So I don't have to participate. I, I can come and watch these things. Uh, we'll get your website in just a moment. People can uh, write it down or, or put it in their phone here, Mike. But uh, this sounds like an incredible hobby. I've got a buddy who does this out in Vernon, B.C., and he's been doing this for, oh, gosh, a decade now. And, and he can afford to do it. But is it expensive to be involved? Well, like anything, anything that uh, is fun... Uh, the, the more fun it is, usually the more expensive it is. However, <laughs> ice racing is traditionally one of the cheapest forms of motorsport you can get into. The Ice Act especially is an entry-level sport that costs next to nothing. Uh, so it, it is very, very cheap given the amount of adrenaline and fun you can get, in, uh, get with it. Uh, the Ice Act, most people are just using their regular street cars or just some winter beater or some car that can't be put back on the road. All you need is a helmet. That's it. For the uh, door-to-door racing that we do in the Fire and Ice Series, it is a li- little bit more involved getting a, getting a race car that's uh, with a safety cage and, and a bit more safety equipment because the speeds are higher. But even that, the entry fees, the amount to get into it, to buy a car and get into it, it's less than snowmobiling, it's less than downhill skiing, it's less than, it's less than any other sport, winter sport that I can think of that provides that level of energy. Uh, and you added fire to this. Sorry, fire and ice. So you're now going to high speeds on ice and drifting, and then what, like through a ring of fire? <laughs> <laughs> no, the fire and ice series is just, is just the brand name of our, our racing series. Okay, good. With our studded cars. <laughs> okay. I was like, that, that is too much. You got you got enough yep. adrenaline there without adding actual fire to it. <laughs> well, Mike, this has been great. So where can people get uh, details and uh, just uh, remind how people can sign up if they want to get involved in the club and what you've got going on Saturday and then the races uh, this Sunday in Bozeshire? So traditionally on, on Saturday and this weekend, we have the school on Saturday and then racing on Sunday and all the other w- weekends. 
pretty much it's drifting on Saturday. It's the whole day is for uh, drifting and newcomers. So anybody can come out as a newcomer and just sign up uh, for the, the Saturday with no experience. On Sunday is race days, and on race days, we like keeping it to just experienced drivers just to keep everything flowing. So that's the structure of the weekends each time. They can get more information either on our Facebook page or on our website, WSCC, which stands for Winnipeg Sports Car Club. So WSCC.mb.ca is our uh, website, and just punch in Winnipeg Sports Car Club on, in Facebook, and it'll take you to all the information. Mike Demchenko, Director of Ice Racing with the Winnipeg Sports Car Club. This sounds like a lot of fun, Mike. Thanks for bringing this to our attention, and thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me, and uh, feel free to come out. At the end of the day, we often uh, have a little bit of time set aside to take passengers and uh, guests and uh, people that are interested in joining the club along for passenger rides just for fun. So if you're out there at the end of the day, we'll... Get you in the passenger seat. Oh, boy. <laughs> that sounds really tempting. Thanks for this, Mike. And uh, wanted to acknowledge uh, Kenny Block, who who mm-hmm. Mike mentioned there, passed away January 2nd in a, in a snowmobiling adventure out up in the mountains uh, out west. So uh, I know he had a lot of fans. And so condolences to, to Kenny Block, his fans, and, of course, to his family. Let's say hello to the host of Connecting Winnipeg, Hal Anderson. Hi, Hal. Good morning. Um, I want to start today uh, with the fact that it is Orthodox Christmas or Ukrainian Christmas. I'm going to call it Ukrainian Christmas. I realize there are others, but I'm going to focus in on the people that have needed our support now for almost a year, and I'll continue that today. Uh, So that's where I want to start today, and it's a different Christmas uh, for a lot of Ukrainians that celebrate Christmas normally uh, tomorrow. Today is, is Christmas Eve. By the way, today is Take Down the Christmas Tree Day. Have you taken down your Christmas tree yet, gang? Nope. Yep. Hmm. I was way earlier than normal this year. It was just because mine was so dead, beyond dead. Yeah. Like there was more mm. needles on the ground than on the tree, I think, that I had to get it out of the house. But well, I normally Greg- like to keep it up like at least till the mo- middle of the month. Sure. And Greg, did you keep it up specifically because of Ukrainian Christmas? Uh, no, uh, it, it's up actually because our half our well, our house uh, took turns being sick for about three weeks, so we didn't get it up. I don't mm. think until about the eighteenth, maybe the seventeenth of December, which is usually we're like uh, second, third, fourth. So we're yeah. milking it a little bit. How? Yeah, nothing wrong with that. But today is if you want to do it today and you haven't done it yet, take down. The Christmas tree day. Um, I know you guys were talking about this yesterday, and then uh, Jim Toth had a guest on his show from Rewards Canada talking about all these changes to the coffee rewards uh, programs. I want to get into that a bit today. Do they work for you, these rewards programs? That'll be a question that I'll have for you on the show today. Sean Jeffrey from the Manitoba Restaurant and Food Services Association is going to join us. The MRFA is partnering up with all the food weeks, and the next one coming up is La Poutine Week, and so we'll talk with Sean about that. Speaking of good food, Santa Lucia Pizza, we've got a gift certificate. We'll play Tough Trivia on the show today. Marnie Blunt, you may have heard this in the news this morning with Jeff Brown. Marnie Blunt made a trip out to Minnedosa and uh, talked to uh, one of our Global News reporters and talked to a 97-year-old war veteran 
who is still very involved out there, speaking in schools, supports the local uh, legion. Just a great story. We'll kick off hour two with that right after the news at 11 o'clock. Greatest movies of all time. I've got a list for you. Cyrus Dirksen coming up after 11.30 and lots more coming up here over the next couple of hours on Connecting Winnipeg right after the news at 10. Hey, Hal, can you ask Sean about a potential gravy shortage that's uh, <laughs> well, I'll, rumored I'll to be pending? It will. Hey, um, there from time to time, and sometimes it improves and then gets bad again. I will ask him specifically about a gravy shortage, uh, but I know I was talking to Peter Janakis um, uh, at the Pony Corral a while back, and he was telling me they have a certain uh, coloring. They make their own gravy, but they have a certain coloring that they like to use in that gravy uh, to give it the look that they like, and he couldn't get it. And so, I mean, it's just crazy. I, I'm so blown away by all these, you know, shortages uh, that continue. But I guess it's, uh, it, maybe it's a new normal. I don't know. If there's a gravy shortage. No, no. <laughs> Brett. no Brett can't do it, guys. Well, if Brett there's a gravy shortage, if, if there's a gravy shortage, I'm going to have to give up my weekly gravy bath, which will be very disappointing. <laughs> Sounds like you could actually solve the pending gravy shortage. I might be the problem. Might be the problem. <laughs> That's where I was going, Al. Yeah, right. Al Anderson is the host of Connecting Winnipeg. He's on from ten until twelve on six eighty CJOB. Followed by Jets at noon with Cam Poitras and Jim Toth. Jim Toth show one to three. The news with Rich and Julie three to five. And the pregame show starts at five. Play by play. Winnipeg Jets in action tonight at seven o'clock. Also on the subject of uh, trees, if you're taking your tree down and you're looking for, there are all kinds of places where you can drop them. But the forks also will accept right. your Christmas trees because they line the river trail. That's right. They already told me they don't want mine. They're supposed to be pretty trees, not ones that look like Charlie <laughs> and no Brown's no artificial tree. trees. No, they and speaking also don't of the want Jets, that. real quick, uh, the the Rick Bonus is going to coach in his twenty six hundredth game tonight as a head or assistant coach. Assistant coach that's the most in league history. Really? Congratulations to Rick Bonus. Wow, that's a neat trivia nugget to close the week. So thank you very much for listening to the start on six eighty CJOB. Thanks to producer Jeff Forte and Master Control. Great stuff as always, bud.